Hello and shalom, everybody. My name is Julia Jassy, and you are listening to Nice Jewish Girls, brought to you by Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. If you're already a Nice Jewish Girl subscriber, you know the drill. And if you're new, welcome. We are so excited to have you. Let's take this moment right now and subscribe to this pod. You're going to love it. All right, ready? Let's get into it. On today's episode, we are sitting down with Sophie Ross, a writer on fashion, beauty, and influencer culture from New York City. Sophie's influence on pop culture is huge. From social media to journalism to podcasting, she's a huge part of sharing the media that is defining a new generation, my generation. Recently, the Jewish community has been reckoning with the ways that we are failed by poor representation in the media. Contrary to popular belief, no, we do not own the media. In fact, quite the opposite. It's really rare to find a TV show where Jews are represented as more than a watered-down stereotype. The only Hanukkah sweater at a Christmas party, or the Orthodox woman breaking free from her community. I'm really looking forward to having Sophie Ross on the show today. Beyond how much I admire her work, I'm so curious to learn about Jewish representation in pop culture from, well, an expert in pop culture. I want to know more about the work that's being done to give an authentic voice to Jewish people. I want to know what it's like to be vocal about anti-Semitism in a field that often ignores it. I am so excited for you guys to meet her. Let's do this thing. Sophie Ross is an editor, copywriter, and reporter based in New York City. She writes and tweets about fashion, beauty, and influencer culture. Sophie, it's so good to have you here today. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited for this. Yeah. I've really been looking forward to it. Same. And it's cool because I feel like I've interacted with you online, but never gotten the chance to speak face-to-face. So it's always nice to have these sort of conversations. Yes. Yes, for sure. I love talking with other nice Jewish girls out there. Absolutely. (laughs) Let's start off right from the beginning. Can you tell us a bit about where you're from? Yeah, I'm from Cincinnati, um, which is kind of random. I'm based in New York City. I've lived in New York now for about seven years, um, which is just where I work. Um, But yeah, I'm a Midwestern girl at heart. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I go to college in Chicago. So being in, I'm from New York, so I kind of understand that little. Yes. Yeah. It is very different. Like I was just home actually last over the weekend and I'm sorry. I know that you're, if you're from New York, you're like probably like, I hate when people say this, but people just are ruder in New York. And every time I come home to the Midwest, I'm like, wait, you're talking to me in an elevator. Like, yeah. you know. <laughs> no, it, it's, I mean, speaking from the experience of living in both places, it's unfortunately true. What was it like growing up um, as a Jewish woman in the Midwest? Um, so I actually really grew up in a very vibrant Jewish community. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And I feel like that's like something that a lot of people don't know about Cincinnati is that there, yeah. there is a thriving Jewish community there. Like, I don't really know like percentages, but I, you know, all of my, if not all, most of my best friends growing up were Jewish. And I literally, I remember I went on March the Living my senior year of high school. And I remember finding out my senior year of high school, and this sounds really dumb, and this is how bad education is in the U.S., mm-hmm. that, you know, the amount of Jews in the world is like far, far fewer than the amount of, you know, 
Christians and Muslims. Yeah. And I remember we were like at the Bedouin tents, I think. And we were just having a conversation. I was like, wait, I really thought that like the world was kind of like evenly split up between religions. And I think that was when I found out that I was kind of like a minority, I guess. Like I, and that sounds really dumb, but I just grew up in such a bubble, like yeah. a bubble in a Jewish community. And yeah. That doesn't sound dumb at all. I had a really similar experience. I'm from Long Island, New York. Mm-hmm. So a lot of Jewish people and coming yes. to college in Chicago even was a totally foreign mm-hmm. experience for me not being in the larger yes. minority. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so how, since you moved to New York and kind of come out of this bubble, but you're in this new place with the super vibrant Jewish culture there, mm-hmm. how has that relationship with your Judaism shifted throughout your life? I don't know. Well, first of all, I went to Indiana mm-hmm. University and I met so many people, including people from the Chicago suburbs that had never met a Jew before in their life. Wow. And so that was shocking to me. I was like, how can you like, you've never met a Jewish person? Like I was a lot of people's first Jewish friend at college. Which, you know, made me kind of put things into perspective. Because I remember also growing up thinking that being Christian was so cool. I was like, (laughs) oh my God, why? I was like, why doesn't Santa come? Like, why? Christian people are so cool. Like, I wanted to be Christian so bad. And then when I realized that, you know, I was like, wow, like, no one has met a Jewish. I get to be someone's first Jewish friend. Like, that's really awesome. And then obviously when I came to New York... um, you know, they say that that New York is very, it obviously is more than other places in the country, but still at my workplaces, I'm still, you know, the only Jewish person at on my team or wherever I've worked. And I've noticed that kind of again and again, which I also think is weird because like, um, you know, we're supposed to be in this in this very um, Jewish kind of city with a with a big Jewish population. So I always thought that was interesting. But um, yeah, I definitely feel like just as I've gotten older, and just more in touch with, you know, mm-hmm. my myself and just my spirituality, which sounds stupid, but I'm very, I'm into like, you know, the universe and kind of stuff like that. And mm-hmm. looking at things like everything happens for a reason. And as hardship happens in adulthood, you kind of look to religion. And I feel like not that I've become, you know, super, super religious. I grew up in a conservative synagogue. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like as I've gotten older, I definitely have more of a respect for Judaism than I did when I was little. Yeah. And I mean, even right now, I think that a lot of people are grappling with this because of coronavirus and the impact Mm -hmm. it had just kind of living through this mass tragedy Mm -hmm. as a people, but also just as a broader global Mm -hmm. community. Do you think that's had an impact on your relationship with religion? I mean, not only that, but probably just I think what happens is, and we've seen throughout history, is that, you know, something bad happens and it somehow gets blamed on the Jews. And we're kind of, you know, seeing a a surge in anti-Semitism again, as you know, as you are very, very familiar with. Um, So I think in that regard, I feel like more than ever, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I'm proud. I feel like it's like, and now all of a sudden I feel like I'm not allowed to say that I'm proud to be Jewish Mm -hmm. because, you know, People are throwing around terms like Jewish supremacy. It's like, yeah. I'm not allowed to like be proud, but I am proud. It's like, it's a, it's a, it's a weird time for sure. But I definitely feel very, very in touch with, you know, Judaism. Like, you know, we've said for millennia that Jews always find a way to survive. 
So I feel like that's kind of something that's kind of empowering too. Yeah. And I mean, I think even more kind of touching on your career, you have this really cool career as a writer, a journalist, an influencer, and you capture this intersection of Gen Z millennial culture through your work with beauty and fashion and influencers. And you see even the way that Jewish representation is is painted coming to play in that arena. No matter what arena you're in, it's, it's happening. But I think especially recently, the way that Jews are, are shown in pop culture has really come to the forefront. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I've been thinking about it a lot, too, because I something I tweet and talk about on, you know, my podcast that I do every Monday is that um, um, we talk about Real Housewives and, like, Bravo shows and mm-hmm. stuff like that, reality TV. Every Bachelorette or Bachelor season, it's always about Christian values. Yeah. And Real Housewives, um, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, like, Kyle, Kyle Richards converted to Judaism um, for marriage and her husband is a Mexican Jew. And I'm like, that's so cool. I want to hear more about that. We never, ever in 10 seasons have heard anything about that. Dorit Kemsley is another cast member. She's Israeli. And, you know, her, her, she comes from Holocaust survivors and they did visit, you know, um, a Holocaust memorial. I think it was in Berlin or somewhere in Germany, I think. And one of the Mm -hmm. episodes and it was like very lightly touched on. I'm like, I would love to see just more. There are Jewish, you know, people out there, but it's never, ever like a focus or a conversation anywhere. And I feel like especially now with anti-Semitism, you know, when we talk about meeting people who had never met Jews before, mm-hmm. they don't know anything about Jews. And then we have, you know, the the shows that come out that kind of paint Jews in a bad light, you know, the shows that do represent us. So it's 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 tough because there really isn't a great representation. I will say that Broad City... I if I have to choose just one representation yeah. of of Judaism right now off the top of my head, like Broad City, yes, thank you. But besides that, it's like it's hard to think of a lot. I am a shameless Bachelor Bachelorette fan, although I do like Bachelor in Paradise the best. I feel like it's not an unpopular opinion. Um, but that really became a conversation that my family and I even had. I think it was last season when Tasha sent someone home for not being, I think it was Christian, um, it yeah. just kind of brought up the whole conversation of what role does does Judaism have to play in this and other kind of minority identities. But mm-hmm. it's interesting because a lot of the time, the only representation that we see is, you know, being the one person wearing a Hanukkah sweater at a Christmas party or mm-hmm. the person leaving the Orthodox community because of abuse. You never really see the stories of, just like you're saying, um, the Jewish identity that's celebrated. Mm-hmm. You always see the one that's kind of repressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, or or it's like the the Jewish lawyer, the yeah. Jew, the the rich Jewish lawyer. It's like I feel like there are just so many um, Jewish stereotypes and then nothing else. And you know that's frustrating. I would love you know, it was kind of tough. I feel like I, I would love to know what it's like now as a Jewish child. I feel like just being able to celebrate Judaism and having, you know, little Jewish kids have something to feel kind of proud of. Again, it's like they have social media now and people to look up to. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's just such a missing piece right now is that we just don't have something that celebrates not just, you know, the Jewish lawyers and the Jewish comedians and things like that, but kind of everyday Judaism and just everyday Jewish life. Absolutely. And I think a lot of the time, the people who feel the most of that are Jewish women. I think a lot of the stereotypes about us 
um, mm-hmm. are being too severe, talking too much. Even when we were kind of meeting before we started recording, joking around about us both being people who talk a lot and that being a very stereotypical yes. Jewish woman thing. But I think that that really came to a head recently um, on another podcast called The Cutting Room Floor. Um, can you tell us a bit of what happened there and how that affects kind of our perception of Jewish women in, in pop culture? Oh, that was that was so just disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, just a rundown. Essentially, the host had Leander Medin on, and Leander Medin is the founder of the Manor Peller, which is a now defunct um, lifestyle fashion blog. And there was a lot of controversy with the Man Repeller site because when it shut down after 10 years, a lot of stuff came out about how the Black writers who had worked there, you know, had been, you know, just laid off with no severance or um, they didn't get the same pay or benefits that the the white, very privileged um, employees. And there were a lot of employees there that came from very, you know, connected um, New England WASPy families. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there definitely was a lot of messed up stuff come like that that just came out about the Manor Peller. And Leandra, I don't think, did a very good job of kind of taking ownership of her role and everything that went yeah. down. Again, it's like I, I'm not completely privy on every single detail because I wasn't really a loyal Manor Peller reader throughout the years. But that's kind of the gist of it. Mm-hmm. So the cutter, Cutting Room Floor host had um, Leandra on the podcast. And... Um, I think was was trying to make a statement about white privilege and holding her accountable, but then her Judaism entered the conversation and Mm -hmm. um, her Judaism became kind of a weapon against her in the Mm -hmm. conversation, kind of wielded as a a sign of her white privilege, which, by the way, Leandra Medine, obviously, you know, she she was raised in the Upper East Side, but her her parents were Iraqi or Iranian immigrants. Mm-hmm. Either way, she she comes from, you know, a rich a rich Jewish background. You know what I, and I mean rich not in the money way, but like a, just an interesting culturally back culturally yeah. just very fascinating. You know, that's yeah. that's her her parents didn't flee the Middle East probably under fun circumstances. Like no. this is an, <laughs> and and so um the host brought up the fact that you know, Jews, many Jews were involved in the slave trade, which false, categorically false. Second yeah, of all, wild conspiracy theory. Second of all, Leandra's, Leandra's ancestors weren't the ones, if any, that were involved in the slave trade. You know what I mean? Like that has been proven false, first of all. Second of all, um, her, her family wasn't even in the United States. So, um, yeah, just a lot of things. And the Jewish American princess trope, she said, I'm so sick of these Jewish American princesses, which, hold up. I feel like I, over the years, and we're going to get into, you know, the use of that term yeah. in a second, but but I feel like I kind of, as Jewish girls, I feel like we can describe, we can use the descriptor as Jappy. Yeah. Jewish American princess. It's like just something that, you know, has been used against us. And a lot of us have just kind of reclaimed that term and not in like, you know, oh my God, we're reclaiming the term, but like, it's just something that, you know, it's not problematic. It's funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's my Instagram bio. Right. Like it's funny, like not problematic when Jewish people say it about ourselves. Mm -hmm. But, um, 
Again, if, if a Jewish man says it even, like that, I feel like even veers into misogynistic territory. When Absolutely. a non-Jewish person says it at all, no, you're not allowed to say that. Especially yeah. in a derogatory, I'm so sick of these people, like hold up. Yeah. So that was a problem. And then she also, um, you know, was like, oh, come on, you can just get your nose jobs and perm your hair and you can fit right in. Yeah. Ooh. We're calling that a privilege. Having yeah. to hide something, hi- having to hide some your identity in mm. order to not have to endure anti-Semitism. That's not privilege. That's the opposite. I would say I am I'm jealous of anyone that gets to, you know, and I'm I'm a white, you know, functioning Jewish person. Like I completely understand white privilege and that I benefit from it. Absolutely. But I think in terms of, you know, I think of Orthodox Jews and just wearing, I, I don't feel comfortable wearing anything that displays my Judaism or, you know, anything that has anything Israeli or Jewish on it. I just don't. Mm-hmm. Even in New York, especially in New York City, um, with all of the anti-Semitic hate crimes. Which is a um, wild thing to say, considering it is. how, the, I think 12% of the New York City population, don't quote me on that number, but I'm pretty sure 12% is Jewish. The, exactly. The I think it's the second biggest Jewish population of any city in the world. It's yeah. a tremendously populated Jewish area. And the fact mm-hmm. that so many people I'm hearing from are uncomfortable to publicly identify as Jewish in New York City is a really concerning thing to hear. Yes, exactly. And so I think it's a privilege to be able to be yourself and, yeah. and get to, you know, be proud of your culture and and wear and just be be who you are instead of even even me in New York City when I started a new job every time my parents say don't don't say you're Jewish right away mm-hmm. especially at my current company which is great but it's a French it's a lot of French people mm-hmm. um for our CEO is from France um we have an office in Paris anyway yeah obviously Europe has an issue with anti-semitism absolutely and it's and great. um the French population in particular and my parents were like just you know, when I started there, they were like, don't mention it. And then, you know, a couple weeks and I had my cousin's bar mitzvah that I had to take off time for. And my coworkers are amazing. I still work there. They could not care less that I'm Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's interesting that it's supposed to be a privilege that we can hide behind our whiteness, some of us, but like we shouldn't have to. Yeah. Um. So anyway, yeah. So this whole podcast that was trying to paint Leandra kind of as this trying to hold her accountable for, you know, problematic behavior. I was like, wait, this is extremely problematic behavior, bigoted, anti-Semitic tropes. Like this is something that actually, you know, I'm not comparing which one is worse, but like, I feel like the things that she said were very, very, very vicious. Um, viciously anti-Semitic like things that like you know like to say that the that the majority of slave owners were Jewish is a vicious anti-Semitic bloodline like that's not true it is just yeah it's it's not true so that's something that you know was clearly kind of indoctrinated like that's something that you have to go out of your way to kind of I don't know I don't understand how how it has gotten this bad with people actually believing these things but in any case there was um, a ton of backlash. Um, and and before, even before the backlash, The Cut was praising the podcast episode. A lot of, you know, websites were praising this podcast, praising it. Not one mention of the anti-Semitism. Not mm-hmm. one mention. They actually, in fact, The Cut, what they posted was 
Upper East Side woman realizes she's privileged, like an onion yeah. headline making mm-hmm. fun of. It. And I was like, what are, what do we want from her? Um, you know, I would say that if anything, her family is the definition of the American dream. Um, you know, they, 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 they weren't the ones that were here for, you know, centuries as slave owners, as some people would like to kind of put Jews into that category. That's not the case. And I think I saw this conversation on Twitter yesterday too, about Mm -hmm. someone saying that, you know, American Jews, I need you to understand that your grandparents weren't as middle class as you like to think they were. And I'm like, speak for yourself. Um, All four of my grandparents are still alive. I'm very, very lucky. But that means I, you know, have had deep conversations about my grandparents' just lives throughout the years. I'm very lucky that I get to connect with my grandparents in that way. My grandparents are have always been the definition of working class. Um, the amount of odd jobs that my grandpa worked, um, mm-hmm. lived all over. My dad grew up in Huntington, West Virginia, had pennies oh, wow. thrown at him, wow. um, growing up, like nothing about my family who, you know, came from, you know, their parents, my grandparents' parents came, fleed Europe, fleed anti-Semitism mm-hmm. in Europe. Nothing mm-hmm. about my family's background is like privileged at all really the only the only privilege that i really have today is thanks to you know my my family just kind of putting their heads down and working and getting to work but anyway that take really pissed me off because mm-hmm. all of the jews that i know our families fled persecution from somewhere yeah so that's how we got here <laughs> that's how we got here so i don't understand i'm like if anything you know obviously there are tons of privileged jews and this is a whole other conversation to have is, you know, that there are a lot of privileged Jews. And I think that something that we don't talk about enough is kind of how in our in the Jewish culture. And again, we are a culture, not just a religion. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of cultural just norms and things. Something that's important in our culture in particular and in, in, you know, in order for Jews to survive over the years and the centuries was to study and educate yourself and just things like that. I feel like that is something that has always been just education is so important in Judaism and Jewish cultures is what I'm trying to say. And, and yes, that leads to a lot of Jews going to law school. And then you see a lot of Jewish lawyer stereotypes, a lot of Jews Mm -hmm. going to med school. It's just, it's education is just a huge part of Jewish culture. And it, it doesn't mean that, you know, our our history and cultural, you know, history isn't as traumatic as, you know, it is just because there are some privileged American Jews alive today. It really it's mm-hmm. it's such a complicated discussion and complicated conversation, but yeah. Yeah. And it, it's it's really complicated too because the initial issue of of racism that had occurred with man repeller is important, but it has nothing to do with the the separate issue of anti-Semitism that occurred. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that it's important to be able to talk about both of those things as different parts of the conversation. Mm -hmm. But I do think that the point that you bring up as um, education as a a part of our culture that's always been important is so interesting because it comes from, I mean, thousands of years ago, people studying Torah and Talmud and and that being an important part of, of Jewish religion. Um, and now that continuing that kind of cultural piece of the only way, I guess, out is through. Um, but mm. 
parts. There was there was one um, particular um, piece that had come up on that podcast that I thought was shows how um, misunderstood and, and miseducated Jewish history tends to be. Um, she had said something about how um, you can change your last name from Ralph Lipschitz to Ralph Lauren and you'll be fine. And I mean, so my name is Julia Jassy. It comes from my dad's side of the family. My mom's side of the family were actually Iraqi, Yemenite, and Spanish refugees to Israel. My dad's mm-hmm. family were Polish and Russian refugees to the U.S. Mm-hmm. And their last name was Yassi. Um, mm-hmm. And they came over to Ellis Island um, and... My great-great-grandfather owned a kosher butcher. He was a kosher butcher in in Brooklyn, and he couldn't afford to bring his family over who ended up dying in the Holocaust because he couldn't afford to, to buy them a, a to pay for a boat over mm-hmm. to, to the U.S. Um, mm-hmm. And so the last name Jassy, for me, comes with a lot of baggage. It comes from like mm-hmm. the idea that he escaped, but not a lot of other people did. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of other people died with a different last name than me. And I, I, I think a lot of us have stories like that. Um, yeah. And it's, I think it's, it shows, I mean, for me, I grew up in an area in Long Island um, where there were a significant number of Jews, which to me, a significant number of Jews meant not being the only Jew in my class. Mm-hmm. Um, our anti-Semitism education in general was just as a slideshow about the Holocaust, mm-hmm. some really graphic images and an Ellie Weisel book, and that was about it. And we did it mm-hmm. in 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 eighth grade. Um, and I think that we need to start talking about our family stories in a way that's meaningful and in a way that creates empathy outside of the Jewish community. Because the only way that people mm-hmm. will understand the trauma that we are talking about is by talking about it. Um, and I yeah. don't think that that's fully understood. Yeah, totally, totally. And... Um, yeah, first of all, my last name Ross was originally Rosenblatt. Um, mm-hmm. My my great grandpa was one of the first Jews in the U.S. Naval Academy, and mm-hmm. he just endured so much anti-Semitism um, that he was like, "I don't want my you know my descendants to have to go through having the last name Rosenblatt." Mm-hmm. Which sadly today I'm like, yeah, I am happy that my last name isn't right away Jewish just because when you apply to jobs I feel like that you know you never know in the back of your head like who is looking at these resumes so you know it's sad that even all of these like decades later that it's still something that I'm like well thank you great grandpa sadly and that that is such an issue with the comment also it's like we shouldn't have people like we should be able to have whatever last name is our last name. Like, that's, that's sad. Like, why mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, it's another thing where it's always kind of turned around on Jews that anti-Semitism is, is either our fault or not a big deal, or, you know, we're the ones that need to change ourselves in, in order to fit. It's, it's also like, you know, a lot of progressive groups asking Jewish students or um, whoever it is to denounce Zionism or Israel. And it's like, you are, that your allyship is conditional. Mm-hmm. Like that's not real allyship. It highlights just a huge issue with yes, like Jews do not fit neatly into any box. Mm-hmm. And I think also anti-Semitism just in general just functions so differently from any other kind of um, prejudice or racism um, because it's rooted in like conspiracy theories and mm-hmm. um it just functions so differently. It's just, it, yeah, it's, it's, 
it's clearly there's just a lot of education that is lacking. And yeah, the yeah. Holocaust education in my high school was kind of the same. Um, I did go on March the Living and I remember there were so many issues. Um, we had to miss like two weeks of school. Oh. Um, and a lot of our teachers had issues with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and which also in a way felt kind of like anti-Semitic, kind of like the comments that were made. Um, really? And also, yeah, when we were in Poland and March Living was actually when I first experienced anti-Semitism for the first time. Um, what because happened? So Poland doesn't really have many Jews left at all anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is, you know, uh, I'm sure as you know, just it's very anti-Semitic there. But yeah, um, not great. Yeah. So we were in what was the Warsaw ghetto, but is now apartment buildings. And we were wearing our like blue March of the Living jackets. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was like a cold. It was like April. Did you go on March of the Living? I haven't gotten the chance to. I would love to, but I haven't. Oh, I mean, love to just to see and to experience the the education that comes with it. Obviously, it's not a very positive experience, but I think yeah. it's a very meaningful one. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was. Yeah. And it was so I was 18 and now I'm 29. So it was mm-hmm. a long time ago. But I still remember this vividly because it was like a really freezing April day, rainy, mm-hmm. and someone in one of the apartment buildings just dumped a bucket of water on us. Oh my god! In our blue, and it landed like directly on me and my friend. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and again, it's like that's how people, some polls feel about Jews today that the mm-hmm. Holocaust, what happened to their country after the Holocaust, everything was kind of the Jews' fault. Mm-hmm. Which is wild, but you know, some yeah. Europeans still feel this way that the Holocaust was the Jews' fault or the Holocaust didn't happen or that it wasn't a big deal. Mm-hmm. There is just so much lacking in in Holocaust education just in general. And it's only going to get worse because the last few survivors, yeah. they're not going to be around for long. And it's really scary that it's already this bad. And there are literally people alive oh, on this still. planet that witnessed this. With the, it's like what's going – that's why it's up to us. And so what what do we do with that? We know that particularly as Jewish women, the idea that we talked about since the beginning of being a Jewish American princess about how so much about our identity is either denied or discriminated against or hated. Mm-hmm. What do we do? How do we move forward in a way that still is so proud of, of where we've mm-hmm. come from in spite of all of the hate that we receive for it? Yeah, I think it's really, it's hard because Mm -hmm. um, I feel like so much of the conversation um, has become just like completely, oh, if you, if you are an Israeli person, you are a genocidal, colonial, Mm -hmm. apartheid supporting murderer. It's Mm -hmm. like, wait, wait, is this not xenophobia? I thought that it you is, yeah. we're not we're we're not allowed to to judge someone based on what country they happen to be born, except if you're Israeli. Um, and as long as we're there, they I feel like it has gotten to the point where Jews have been dehumanized mm-hmm. severely by by progressive by people that are supposed to be our allies um, on the left. And that's disappointing. And also, I grew up in a in a conservative. Um, I'm from the Midwest. Like mm-hmm. again, people are very very conservative, and yeah. I was always so liberal. So I, you know, was always like like debating with my parents, and mm-hmm. you know, especially like I was living at home. Um, I was living at home last summer during the pandemic and um, mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter protests, 
And Mm -hmm. I was debating with my parents every single night. And, you know, that's just, I've always felt more at home with the left. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, to then kind of see this really, really, really ugly side of just the, the, and I'm not talking about, you know, everyone, all progressives. Of course. Um, but there is a very, very extreme, extreme, you know, far left. And the beliefs that they have are scary. Mm-hmm. And um, like I just said, just thinking that all Israeli people are genocidal murderers is like, what? Like, yeah. And justifying, you know, when you hear of Israeli children getting murdered by Hamas, well, you know, that's what they deserved. It's like we have gotten to the point where Jews have been completely dehumanized mm-hmm. um, by people that aren't supposed to dehumanize, you know, marginalized groups. It's just it's mind blowing. And I think it's gotten scary for me. And I, you know, as a public figure with a platform, I feel such a responsibility to talk about this stuff, but it also is like, I, I, at the same time, I'm putting my neck out there. Absolutely. Because I have gotten, you know, called um, a racist Zionist in Reddit. Um, I've been called an anti-Palestinian. And I, again, it's like, these are Redditors and people, it's like, show, show receipts of where I said it. But it's like, yeah. As soon as you talk about anything Israel related or stand up for Israel at all, you are labeled a genocidal whatever, which is wild. So I feel like we are, I think what needs to happen is that more education around Israel mm-hmm. and celebrities and, and Jewish celebrities and people with platforms and the opposite of whatever Bella Hadid is doing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Like, we need someone to actually just tell people, no, this is wrong. This is mm-hmm. false. Before, like, we we can't cross the bridge until people that think they're being progressive and helpful on the left realize that they're actually, like, contributing to the problem, you know? And Jewish celebrities have to speak up because it has, it's far past time for that. Deborah Messing. Deborah Messing Love is one. Love Deborah Messing. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, I, <laughs> I feel like we just need more. And again, right away, she was completely written off. Even by, you know, Jewish, um, other Jewish journalists making fun of her. Yeah. I'm like, it's not going to save you. It's not going to save you pandering, pandering the anti-Semites, it's never going to save you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as cool as like the retweets probably feel like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And again, it's like, I've gotten in Twitter beef with Darcy Wilder. Do you know who that is? Author? No, I don't. (laughs) Again, just because I tweeted, I tweeted something about Tel Aviv. And this was like two years ago before, like, before I even realized how anti-Semitic the left was. I just, it was something about, you know, Tel Aviv, pride and how you know people on the left were boycotting it and I was like well like who wants to tell them it was like something like that yeah I have experienced you know people jumping down my throat just for you know pointing out that hey it's actually a good thing that LGBTQ people have a safe haven in the Middle East I don't see how that's a bad thing like you know it's like everything is kind of it makes you feel like you're in the twilight zone almost and I, yeah, I'm no not, win. yeah. And like, I feel like I just, I, it's not that I'm saying like, oh my God, like I'm, I'm getting red pilled. No, I will always feel more at home on the left than on the right. Mm-hmm. But it gives my parents a chance to be like, well, I told you so. I told you <laughs> so. 
about the, those yeah. libs, about about them libs. Like, that's what my parents say. So, like, and yes, there are Jews that talk like that in the Midwest. <laughs> no, that's something I can definitely relate to. Like, I also consider myself like, more to the left. Um, but I get a ton of harassment pretty consistently. I had someone recently trying to disprove my family's history in Yemen and getting yes. 10,000 likes in a post like that. I've had people on TikTok making videos about my family laughing about the idea of them being killed in Yemen if they were to have to go back. Just really intense stuff. Um, and that really brings us to the last question, which is mm-hmm. we're all kind of having this experience. And I think that Jewish women have a particularly hard time with it because we are overwhelmingly targeted and harassed. Mm-hmm. Um And a lot of the incredible people on this podcast, yourself included, have shown a great way of being a leader in your respective field and being on Twitter, being a successful journalist who also is a proud Jewish woman. What advice do you give to anyone listening to this podcast about how to do the same? I think it kind of sounds like corny, but I I really do think about how Every every Jewish life really is kind of a miracle. I think about mm-hmm. everything that, um, you know, had the universe, everything that had to ha- happen for, you know, you or I or, you know, any Jewish person to kind of be here today is, is yeah. wild. Um, so I think just to sit with that mm-hmm. as a Jewish person and just think of the fact that, like, you are a miracle and your ancestors are, you know, they went through hell and you're here because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, that's just, I, I just, sitting with that thought, you it really puts things into perspective. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, and just, I feel like what makes you different is what makes you interesting and, mm-hmm. you know, special And it sounds so cheesy, but it's like, again, like that's something that I kind of, you know, even though I went to synagogue as a, as a little kid, like, even though I had Jewish friends, I always, you know, resented being Jewish and it took me going Mm -hmm. to college until I realized it actually was kind of special being Jewish and just realizing that, you know, it's special and, and yeah, and you're making your ancestors proud by just being alive. Yeah, it reminds me of that quote. Um, I'm forgetting who said it, but you have two notes in both of your pockets. One says, the world was created for me. The other says, I am but dust and ash. And kind of having that grounding, whatever you need, grabbing it out of your pocket. That just reminds me a lot of that. So I love that. that. Yeah. (laughs) (sighs) It's been so wonderful to speak with you. I feel a lot like I'm speaking to myself almost because I can relate to so much of what you're saying um and thank you for taking the time to be with us on this podcast today it's been it's been wonderful yeah thank you for having me this was so fun thank you so much and just thank you for what you're doing it's so important and I just have so much admiration and respect for people that are braver than I am on social media You are quite brave yourself. Give yourself some credit. (laughs) No, so many things that, you know, I see you say or whoever it is. There's so many great people that I follow on Twitter that you guys say things that I wish I was brave enough to say that I wouldn't have to worry about, you know, what what media industry contact is going to cut me off if they see that, you know, I and that's sad that I have to censor myself like that. But I just I have so much admiration for you and just I I admire your strength and ability to tweet stuff 
that I wish I could. And I'm going, it's something that I'm going to work on is, is being able to be prouder about having, you know, lived abroad in Jerusalem. And I love Israel and I love so many Israeli people and Israeli people are like worthy of love. I feel like it's like, you're not even allowed to say that on Twitter anymore. It's so, it's so messed up. And yeah, anyway, I know that was like, you were trying to wrap it up and I just went on a sh- weird No, that was an people. important part. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I, anyway, I just admire yeah. what you do and I thank you. And thank yeah, you thank so you much. so much. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Honestly, this is one of the most engaging and natural conversations I've had since starting to podcast. I love talking to Sophie today, not just because The Bachelorette is our shared guilty pleasure. I related to so much of what Sophie said. Growing up in American diaspora communities today, so much of our identities as Jews is watered down and assimilated until we don't recognize it within ourselves. Coming into Judaism from a place of strength is a challenge, but it's an empowering one. What sticks with me from this conversation is all that Sophie shared with us at the end. Sophie's words echoed so much of what so many of us are feeling. Tired, frustrated, done being told to be quiet. Sophie told me that she wishes she were brave enough to speak out, but honestly, I wanna push back against that for a moment. Sophie being on this show is brave. Sophie being a public Jewish woman on a platform like Twitter, where Jewish women are harassed, threatened, doxxed daily, is brave. I think we often hold advocacy to the standard of activists. We think the right way to fight for our community is to organize, to pen op-eds, to shout on Twitter. Don't get me wrong, all of that stuff is great, and I do all of that stuff. I mean, I want to tell you it's great, but that's just one way to advocate for our community. Being a Jewish person in the non-Jewish world who holds their head up with pride, going to work each day with a Megan David or a Kippah, being representation you hope to see in the world, that is advocacy. There is no one way to be an advocate and nothing would ever be accomplished if we all did the same work. It's the sum of our work, the sum of our talents, the sum of our resilience that gives our community strength. I am so inspired that Sophie Ross shared her advocacy with us here today. And this, my friends, is where we'll leave you for today's episode of Nice Jewish Girls. Hopefully a bit smarter and a bit more inspired. I would love, love, love to hear your feedback and suggestions for other nice Jewish girls to host on this pod. Email us at podcasts at jewishunpacked.com. And don't forget to join us next week when we'll be speaking with Chief Marketing Officer of Jewish on Campus and Jewish activist Michal Cohen. Nice Jewish Girls is a production of Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Rivki Stern is our producer, and I am your host, Julia Jassy. Check out jewishunpacked.com for everything Unpacked related and subscribe to our other podcasts. Don't forget to follow Unpacked at all of the social media places like TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Just look for at Jewish Unpacked. Talk to you later, ladies.